my pleasure to uh, introduce the moderator for our third panel. Uh, it's a panel which I've been looking forward to for a long time. Greg Golden is a curator at the Architecture and uh, the A and D Architecture and Design Museum in Los Angeles. In that capacity, he's curating not one but two exhibitions that are part of Pacific Standard Time Presents uh, Windshield Perspective, which he was telling me will take us down Beverly Boulevard in such great detail we may even be seeing some gum on the sidewalk. Um, and then um, Never Built LA, which I think he'll be telling us more about. Uh, from 2000 to 2012, he was the architecture critic at Los Angeles Magazine, and he is a frequent contributor to the Architects newspaper. Please welcome Greg Golden. Well, thank you all for sticking out the afternoon and coming all the way up to the Getty. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce you from my left to your right, I think. Um, Sid Mead, who is known something as what, the father of visual futurism. We may see some images of the future of LA that he's done. He uh, started out as a, an advanced, at the advanced styling studio for Ford Motor Company back in Detroit, a city that some people think doesn't have a future. <laughs> uh, and uh, somehow segued into, into our world of Hollywood where he did visual designs for movies like Blade Runner, Tron, he worked on Star Trek, Aliens, so he's got some pretty good chops when it comes to thinking <laughs> about the future. Um, and then seated next to Sid is Ching Yung Ma, who is the dean of the USC School of Architecture. I don't think he needs too much more introduction other than he had an ex has had an extensive career both here and in his native China as an architect. He uh, worked with Rem Kohlhaas on a pretty well-known building, the CCTV building. Um, and also, I, I know this because we've sat in his office and looked at, at some of his neon designs, which I don't know if those are for the future or their ideas about three-dimensional uh, objects. And then last but not least is James Rojas, who, if you have children, you would probably know James because he puts on these amazing, um, what can you call them, found object puzzle pieces that you can, you can design your own version of a city. He calls it the, the Imagination Project and place it. Um, and I'm pleased to have James here. He's an urban planner. Um, emeritus, I think is the correct way, right, James? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, I have a pointer here. I'm not good with these sort of devices, but we, we're, we're supposed to talk about the, the future. Who's going to design the future of Los Angeles? So I thought I would start with an, a couple of images of um, designs of the future of LA. So without further ado, here is a design of the future of Los Angeles, except for this is the future as envisioned somewhere around 1927 or 1928 by Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright's son. I don't know how good the resolution is for you guys of this image, but we're standing somewhere around where the Central Library is today, and we're looking straight up Grand Avenue at um, the Imperial City of the Future. <laughs> uh, one, one version of the future, and because uh, he was thinking no small thoughts, here is that right at the crossroads, the center of this drawing where that, the hexagonal or octagonal thing is, that's downtown LA, and this is Lloyd Wright projecting that downtown 
both on an east-west and north-south axis. Sorry about the, the scanning thing on the left there that tells you the color is correct. Um, and then one more vision of the future that I'm going to share with you, and that is, this ought to be pretty familiar to everybody. Here's an early layout for Los Angeles of freeways. I don't know if you can, you can't really make out the detail well enough here, but to give you some idea, this is the future circa 1958, telling us what it was going to look like 20 years, so that's 1978, and you were going to have a freeway in every single canyon in Los Angeles. On, I'm not making this up. Every single major east-west artery and every north-south artery. So there's the guys thinking about the future from our past. And I'm kind of wondering, where does that leave us, Sid? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you think about this stuff. Well, the, the future starts right now. Yesterday is the past. <clears throat> and you never go into the future from zero. You overlay the future onto what's already happened. I mean, the entire human history, uh, all of the arts, the architectures, the, the drama, the, the bad and good things that have happened. So designing the future, to me, is figuring out a figurative and a, a homage to the past built into a future overlay on what's already happened. I mean, that's how you have to do it. Let's show them one. I think this... There. There's Sid's vision of downtown. What year was this drawn? Uh, well, let's see. Was it 88? Uh, you're looking west on 1st Street. The, the Dorothy's house is way at the far end <laughs> on the right. You can see the iconic city hall. The building just to the... Uh, inboard side of City Hall. I envisioned a, a civic center, and those are, like caryatids, they're, they're um, statues of the ethnic history of Los Angeles, notable figures in the history of Los Angeles. The, the library tower is over to the far left of the picture. Uh, we're looking at a two-level version of First Street to separate traffic, and thinking First Street could be a major east-west arterial link from across north of downtown. So it was, a, it was a fun, this was done by commission for the LA Times Magazine on an issue that was, thir, tw, uh, 2013 was the title of the issue, so here, here we, we are. are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Actually, not bad. <laughs> what, what, what do you think, Dean Ma? You've had Actually, it's credible. It's credible. It could be built. <laughs> but too bad we didn't build this. <laughs> and, and we have maglev cars taking us around, too. Right. <laughs> Everybody loves a maglev. Yeah. Just don't walk on the street in wet weather. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Wear your rubber boots. And, and, and don't look for your electricity bill because they're really super expensive to, <laughs> to operate. Right? And on the far left, I, I envision parking structures as huge sculptural additions to the central city. That's what that sort of curved linear... And of course, now you have organic architecture, which is organic all over the place in, ter in terms of mobility of each section of the high-rises. So it's, 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 not, it's credible now, yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like a Shanghai already. So I do felt the, the vision of future isn't really uh, uh, local. Uh, because future uh, mm. is, is not a geographical uh, notion. So this was actually built uh, everywhere in, the, in, in Asia, right? Mm -hmm. So yes. it's visually... But I think the problem with that is that basically that future was based on really cheap oil and really cheap uh, you know, energy, and also there was no pedestrians. And I think <laughs> as a city planner, 
you know, one of the hardest jobs is how do you plan for the future of a city? And, you know, for me, it's all about the imagination. Because the city today, the city tomorrow is all in our heads. Because now in Los Angeles, for instance, I've been working at transportation for the past like, 10 years, we have a big biking craze. We can't build bikes fast enough. The young kids today, they want to have a bike, and they want to have a Facebook page. They don't want a car. So this future of cars is just obsolete now for, for, for today's generation. So it's how do we understand the future generations, what they're going to want in the future? But this is just kind of looking, this is, this is a picture built on you know, certain, certain set of parameters that were, that were big in 1970, I guess. But, but is, it, is it even possible to design without the automobile in mind in Los Angeles? Can well, it be done? I think if young people are buying, young people today are buying more bikes and cars, as that generation gets older, it might change the pair. We might, might have a multimodal split of building more bike lanes and less freeways. Well, D Dean Ma, if somebody asked you to design, like I know you were working a little bit, you were thinking about the area north of, of USC and University Park for a while. W were cars simply cross that off the list? Um, I, I do felt around USC, uh, or USC uh, could be used as the laboratory to, to get rid of cars. Uh, simply because of the uh, the schedules of lives of students and uh, the relatively um, contracted uh, sense of um, urban uh, urban uh, activities, uh, but then it really has to imagine a city where uh, a city has to be imagined as a uh, super uh, hybrided in terms of programming and super dense, uh, where um, the expansion of the future is not rely on the freedom of horizontality, but really uh, the expansion of, 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 um, of the uh, school is uh, conditioned by its vertical growth. And that altogether could make, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we, are, um, we have launched a, a studio continuously engaged on how to get rid of First, uh, the street, uh, what is it called? Figueroa? To Figueroa. Get rid, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to get rid of Figueroa, yes. Who do you have to ask permission to get that done? <laughs> Correct. So as we, uh, actually, in the middle of the idea of to get rid of Figueroa, we find there is a, tra uh, uh, a, a light rail, or the actual uh, light rail coming Lower. through. And that, uh, yes, is good news, uh, because it's a public form of transportation. Uh, could eventually uh, might, uh, uh, mitigate uh, the pressure of car, but really kind of rip the city uh, to sides. So it's really, um, so I do felt that this is a point I wanted to make. The future doesn't come as a, uh, a s slow, a smooth uh, uh, transition of a natural process of time. Future has to come in a kind of radical way. It has to come and enforce on you uh, so that you actually bring, because the future is risky. If you allow it to come to you as time progress, nobody would embrace the future. It has to come as some kind of a catastrophic, uh, uh, um, I'm sorry, yeah, something, some form of a catastrophe that would bring future to you. And then, then, then as human beings are really flexible, we're flexible beings. We're not as rigid as we have been uh, used to. Uh, you would you would uh, you would deal with it uh, except the cars, but except the cars. <laughs> well, I think the automobile probably one of the most uh, interesting inventions of the 20th century. Now we're in the 21st century. Uh, Los Angeles is a 21st century city. 
it's, it's, it's not like New York. It's not that linear uh, format. It's designed for auto traffic. Think of automobiles as the corpuscles of equity exchange in a major urban center. Uh, I am not going to ride a bicycle from Pasadena to Westminster or Santa Monica. <laughs> a bicycle is a fantastic little machine. As you're riding on it, you're hanging from the top three spokes every time the wheel goes around, which I, I think is amazing. But, <laughs> but think of, it's dependent on weather, on your age, your athletic ability, and uh, terrain. So I know we have dealers and you have 10 speeds and all that, but if you're, uh, I'm, I'm pushing 80, 80 years old, and I love my car and I will keep it. <laughs> Well, the, you can't go shopping for a weekend's worth of groceries on anything but an automobile. In Europe, the reason the refrigerators are this wide and this high is because they fill them every other day. Well, we're talking about James. I know you, you have kind of the, the other view, which is we could walk from our apartments down the block to the, you know, what the British might call the high street and encounter everything that we need. Yep. Now, when I was at MIT 20 years ago, I wrote my master's thesis on Latino urbanism, the way Latinos uh, reshape Los Angeles. And because of the lack of resources, they ended up walking more and biking more and taking the bus more. So you have these really compact pedestrian districts that have like four or five mom-pop shops selling the, same, selling the same items on these corridors you know, all over the city. And it's really changing the way the city's, um, way, way, people, way people are using, using space in the city. I, look, I looked at front yards. You know, Latinos put fences around their front yard, they'll put a fountain in their front yard, and what they're doing is they're recreating a plaza in their front yard. What's in America, suburban has now become a plaza, but that's all from the imagination. That's all from the future. There's no zoning code that says, it says to do that. They just do it, they just do it automatically. So, so these, kind of these, kind of, these kind of interventions are, are brought by people into the, into the city with, with all the different kind of cultural baggage. But is there a hybrid that's supposed to emerge out of that? Because I think what Dean Ma is saying, it, there, there's some real truth to that, that if there isn't some cataclysmic shift, we're going to be wedded to seeing these things yeah. the wrong way all the time. We're going to keep building the parking lot next door to you know, the new Academy Museum at Fairfax and Wilshire, and we're going to force people to come there by car, where if we didn't build the parking lot, we'd find some other way to get there, which would imply that's a big shift. Um, and it would imply greater density right there because the people who are gonna visit are gonna have to come from closer. But by the same token, what James is talking about is a kind of planning from the ground up where you can't make that kind of imposition. You can't impose it that way. Well, think about uh, the bad things about cars is you have to put them someplace when you're not in them. 90% of the time. And they cost a lot of money. So <laughs> I worked with Phillips. I was a consultant to Phillips in Holland for about 12 years. We worked on what was called the Vitcar, which in Dutch is a white car. Uh, originally, it was thought up by Schimmelpenick, the heir to the uh, tobacco fortune. And then I designed a little thing which was parked on charging stations. And you had a slot on the side for your card. And if you brought the car back to the charging station, you didn't have to pay as much to use it. But it was a use-only duration idea for automobiles in an urban center. So if you had some way, and this is in the future, it's not now, cars already can park themselves, they can find a parking spot in a, in a stack. Audi just came out with that software, an app for your cell phone. 
And so if you had automobiles or vehicles, let's call them traffic units, TUs, that could find their way, pick you up, drop you off, and then go and take somebody else for a ride, then you could reduce the density probably by about two-thirds. Um, I, I actually really think that's a smart and practical solution. Uh, it's happening in uh, many Asian cities. Uh, for example, I lived about eight years in Shanghai. Um, the notion of a private driver, it is so popular. Uh, it doesn't uh, sound luxurious. It's a practical, every family or every has a private uh, sh a chauffeur. Uh, what's that, what, that, what that does to the city is, one, uh, the driver keep driving this vehicle all day long to do almost everything that for the family, for the extended family, for the companies, and for the whole city eventually. So it is never stopping. It is always filled with either kids or groceries or family members. And it's also it, it resolve a lot of employment. Uh, how wonderful. So I was, when I first came to LA, I really was not used to driving. I live in Pasadena. I didn't know how far it is <laughs> until I get on the highway to go to uh, USC for two months. I really know how far it is. I get so tired, <laughs> particularly the wrong time. I thought it would be great if the university gave me a, a private uh, chauffeur. <laughs> but they didn't understand what you meant by a private <laughs> right. chauffeur. <laughs> so I said, like, can I have a private uh, chauffeur for jobs that no one does because president don't, uh, doesn't even have? I thought, what if we have shared this? But obviously there's a lot of uh, uh, programs. Basically what that means is really the car is non-stopping. It's constantly doing its, uh, what it's supposed to do. Uh, throughout the city. So, and that depends on a certain civility of who's using the car. You don't just dump your root beer on the floor right. when you're done with it. You know. Well, and that, part of that model has been imported because in San Francisco and L.A. now you can, what is it called, you can rent a car? Zip, Zip car. Zip, Zip car, yeah. yes. I have, a, I have a friend in San Francisco that he's a big developer and he drives around in a golf cart in North Beach. He has like five <laughs> properties there, he just drives around in a golf cart. And that's the future of San Francisco because it's so dense and there's lack of parking there Golf carts are the way to go. You're not, you're not driving, you're just driving up and down hills and not too far. My fantasy solution for personal mobility, not, for not clear across an urban area like Los Angeles, but it's called a wheel pants. <laughs> and it's, if you're reading about exoskeletons, which are progressing very fast, for, they'll, they'll come on into use for the aged and the, the uh, people that now are immobile because of disabilities. But you just step into these things, clamp them to your legs. The gyroscope comes up into the middle of your back. You have a little thing that you work with a button, like an Apple uh, uh, shuffle thing, and off you go. And the wheels are articulated. They can come down so you can roll, and they fold up so you can walk. So you have your mobility device with you all the time. You can go in an elevator. You can circulate on your feet with people, go to the store, and, uh, but then roll along the sidewalk when you're ready to go. I think it'd be a fantastic idea. The Segway is just the start. Right, but the guy who invented the Segway, didn't he just drive one right off the edge of a cliff and that was the end of that? <laughs> he had too many drinks? I don't know. Maybe he's on heavy drugs. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay, so now, now we figured out how to get around. 
but what is this city that we're getting around in? I mean, I think it, it, it's true. It, it's easy. L.A., what do they say? The only conversation you can ever have is how long it take you to get here. <laughs> um, right. And, and it, okay, it, 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 may, it may be true, but where are we coming from and where are we going to? Because a city is not just about mobility. It's about the destination. I hope, I think... And something about L.A. keeps bringing people here, and we want to be here, but we, we bitterly complain about getting from place to place. So what are the places that we're going to be getting to going to shape up as? You guys are the ones who are supposed to know the answer to this question. <laughs> well, developers and politics create a city, and the economics are absolutely important. The political environment and consensus is very important. The last election in Los Angeles, I think, what, only 28% voted? Less. Or less than that, about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's tragic. And the city will be created for them, whether they like it or not. I think it's, it's all going to be about imagination. You know, I, I moved to downtown 10 years ago on Spring Street, and there was nothing there. There was nothing there, just my art gallery and my, my loft. But now it's changed. And it's all changed by people's imaginations. People want to live in, people imagine themselves living in a big city, so they move to downtown Los Angeles. People imagine moving to Hollywood, so they move to Hollywood. So it's all about imagination. And as a planner, how do we understand the future of LA? They understand their imaginations. Because, because so, many, so, many, so many of our plans don't work because we don't tap imagination. And we get stuck in this kind of like, uh, not, this, this kind of here and now, and never kind of move beyond that. So it's just a. I love that James, when you say that, though, part of that occurred because it began with people making a beachhead and seeing very low rents for a lot of square footage in a neighborhood that was marginal, that had nothing, right? Yep. Eventually, it was promoted into a much more vital neighborhood because zoning was changed. You could, yep. you could have mixed use no and problem. suddenly things that had been, uh, what, a commercial zoning or a light industrial zoning was converted into residential. So that took political will. And I don't know, did that political will arise just because people were living there or because a kind of broader idea about the city emerged that made it possible for for politicians to embrace the idea? Well, it's, it's half and half, because sometimes, you know, planners can, planners can pass laws that, that, or, or do, 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 do ordinances that, 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 that don't go anywhere. So you, have to, you have to get the formula right. The, the man was there, the law came in, and it all worked. You know, you know so it's, it's getting the timing right. And understanding, understanding the kind of trends in lifestyle. So, somebody suffers for it, too because the, you know, there remains the tail end of the conflict over where, does L, where do LA's homeless people go? That was their turf, and now they've been further marginalized to somewhere else, and no accommodation is all is, at all has been made, and it's okay to be hip there. Don't, God forbid, you should be. Yeah, well, well I think the problem is that in planning, we never take into account, take into account what, are, what are the city values? What are, what are our city values? We always think about planning as this being development rights and entitlements, but never, where are the overall values of the city? You know, how do people value their life in 50 years from now? Do they want public transportation? Do they want community gardens? Do they want parks? We, ne we, never, we never had that discussion. And, and we, can, we can also have a vision. You know, today we look at the bridges that cross LA River and we consider them, they are historical landmarks. And they're works of engineering and, and, and artistic beauty. But the strange thing is when you look at the map of Los Angeles, what you see is the city never grew in that direction. All of those bridges were actually intended to get us to grow east, 
but all the annexation of Los Angeles is west, south, and north. So we can, we can sort of think we're hinging our, our future on something that turns out not to be so at all. Well, if you look, if you look, at, if you look at downtown Los Angeles, the city was first set up as a north-south city. All the wide streets, Spring, Broadway, Main, Los Angeles are all north-south. All the narrow streets are east-west streets, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. So the city was, the city was a north-south city. And then they kind of forced it to be east-west. They built, they built tunnels under Bunker Hill, they kind of built all their viaducts over the river, so they made it go east-west now. I have a, uh, it's an off-the-subject question, but do the homeless in Beverly Hills look down on the homeless in Santa Ana? <laughs> <laughs> it's a social thing, you know? It's a question of how can you tell? Yeah. That's no an answer. interesting question. But I, I also want to do, because uh, when I, the, the, the future of cities, or even uh, in general, and uh, future of Los Angeles has been really the topic for uh, so many years. Um, uh, obviously, uh, it is not a, it, in the intellectual uh, level or acad academic uh, as context, but uh, it seems like a future is really never a part of uh, agenda, uh, working agenda at all. Um, so uh, from an outsider, I uh, noticed there's some kind of um, very simple fact that will fu that future is always going to be intellectual, never will be uh, either reality or in operational. So one of the <laughs> one puts of, us in a tough spot, right? So I I, I want to uh, simply just call it out and see uh, can um, on top of the intellectual debate whether uh, those things could be imagined uh, before the city uh, before the future can be imagined. For example. The, um, the, the political system, right? Simply the lack of planning bureau would just kill any future of any cities, right? Because future does hold itself as a special structure. It, anything we talk about city eventually have to come down to the spatial as resource, spatial as provision, spatial as really the kind of program uh, narrative or even uh, the, the, the scenario. So if that is not there, uh, forget about it. There's no future. It's only going to be the improvised individual uh, fitness into a already exist uh, system. There's a theory, well, though, that um, was it Neumeier who did Brasilia? Neumeier, yeah. Well, somebody, some critic said, this is not a city, it's a theme park. <clears throat> Neighborhoods are arrived at by sort of a, a floating consensus, and you made the point, too, that this is how we like it and we do things and so, and so that becomes a neighborhood. Uh, too much planning without sensitivity to who's going to be there, I think, is a huge, huge black mark to what's called urbanization as it's thought of right now. I, I think this is, uh, it's very sound, the criticism, but it's also uh, 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 not completely sensible. Uh, there are cities that's really planned and actually uh, grow out of that vision. It's been viable, uh, extremely uh, Almir, uh, uh, Shenzhen, uh, even uh, Bra uh, Brazil. Uh, uh, it's actually now a viable city. Three generations have lived in the city. The city has been re really... Uh, it's possible, like say Rome, take Rome, or take any cities in the ancient form. That has come out of a very clear set of planning rules. It is not uh, improvised anything. Uh, so. 
Yes, insensible planning definitely is part of the criticism of the postmodern, but it is, um, it can be lived. That's what I'm saying. Human beings are very, it's whether the need for the future, a radical change of paradigm, is more than the comfort of individual. That's where it's talking. And the, the only system that could um, bring the, uh, uh, the, the, the common need, uh, not sensed by equally by everybody. It's a, it's a political and it's, it's a social act. And that seems to be, I'm not saying, that seems to be impossible here in Los Angeles. It, well, it's built into, it's, it is built into the, the system of power in Los Angeles. We have a weak mayor. We have a divided oh, no, city no. council. I don't mean whether he's personally weak. I mean, that's the structure of power. And then the planning department was stripped of its ability to actually initiate plans back in the 1920s. It was a charter reform that, that said, no more, can, you, can, you can talk about ideas, but you cannot implement them. Well, the minute you take implementation off the table, you're talking about exactly what Dean Ma is saying. We're, we're left right. with developers moving from parcel to parcel under rules of zoning I or agree. rights. I agree with you that, that you have to plan <clears throat> because you can't spend in the future, millions and millions and millions of dollars on, on nothing without a, some kind of a guideline. But think of a plan as an armature and then let the infill take over as a as sort of a randomized infill overlay onto that. And then you have, then you have a, a, the nicety of preferential randomness on, on a structure using the structure that you've planned as an armature for future population. Then I come down to my second question. Seems the the ownership of land and the uh, sense of personal space. Also, uh, it's something that's beautiful and that American could bring to the world. But that, uh, it single-handedly killed the future of city. Uh, this is to me. <laughs> we may not have a future here okay. in LA. Well, what I'm saying, is I'm, it sounds, uh, but uh, it is, extremely difficult topic, but in all of uh, cities in China or other part of Asia, the land ownership is different. Uh, it is not permanently owned by nobody. Hmm. Uh, I, I, this is a very difficult topic, we can really extend it into a whole other social. But this is where uh, um, the, uh, the imagination or even the justification rationale uh, of a long-term plan and that it could be embraced. Uh, but obviously there are social programs that structure the time needed to achieve something. And that's something that I felt um, uh, quite strong. Uh, lastly, I would have to say is like in the everyday practice, uh, this uh, Los Angeles as uh, part of American, the social uh, program, the social welfare program seems so good so that uh, all the citizens that rely on government on other things, not on the possibility of city dwelling at all. For example, the you know the social welfare is just giving you, but doesn't the city doesn't give you enough uh, kind of form of existence? For example, if you go to downtown LA, which I love the best, right? Downtown LA is really uh, the form of city that I'm used to, but it's so strange that you go to downtown LA that almost 90% of buildings only have lobby. Like, during the day or during the evenings, there are only uh, uh, security guards. <laughs> there are about 
50 security guards that occupy 80% of the downtown area. <laughs> That's a lot of land. Think about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, are they, so they're like uh, air-conditioned three-story lobbies with four guys there. <laughs> and uh, and uh, registering, you know. But in Hong Kong, every inch of urban frontage is used for shops, for exchange of values, for... So mm. people actually live in the city that by using every inch of the frontage that actually do making lives there. This seems to be impossible. Uh, so that's... So I think the future of the downtown LA or LA is really to buy all the lobbies. <laughs> well, lobbies... And, rent, and rented them out to all... I think... <laughs> I think well, lo lobbies were, were a testimonial to the equity put into the building, the grandeur, the... It, yes. It's an ego thing, you know, architectural ego. But, you know, in Hong you, Kong... You'd have to build residences in those lobbies oh, yeah. in order to populate right. them with enough people well, maybe to patronize a... the, the store. That's the our problem. We'll do a schedule, uh, we'll do a studio of how to reimagine lobbies. Lobbies, <laughs> Occupy the lobbies yeah. by shops. Yeah. We've already did that, Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's not a bad model, though. <laughs> yeah. So, so my work as a city planner is to do plans. And one of our big downfalls is planners that, is planners that we don't have enough input for the plans. So therefore, the, the plans fail because we only get like 10 people at our meetings. And so I've been trying to change this whole kind of process because, uh, you know, cause, cause by, by using the arts. Because artists know how to engage the public and planners don't. You know, if, if, you're, if you're an artist and you have 10 folks show up to your meeting, to your art opening, you know, you think you're, you rethink your art. If you're a planner and 10 people show up to your meeting, you think it's great. <laughs> so how do we change that paradigm? How do we get more people to participate in the future of LA? And so what I've been doing, I've been using found objects, hair rollers, uh, pens, uh, uh, popsicle sticks, to get people to build their future. I give them 20 minutes, I give them 20 minutes to build their future of the city, and at that, that time they self-reflect, thinking about their experiences, their needs, and desires. And, and then, they, just, then they, share, they share their information with everybody in the room, so we, we we can all hear what they want, and then that way you build that way people share the, people share their ideas, they kind of share their values, they bond and inspire each other, and that's how you, that's how you build a city by having people have consensus working together to know what everybody wants, and that's and that, but, but 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 in planning we don't really do this. So I've been doing a bunch of work, I, did, I do a series of workshops all over the country with all kinds of demographics, and you know everybody wants a positive future. And imagination, everybody has one, so it's easy to tap into people's brains to kind of build consensus. You know, I'm, I'm going to be doing workshops in Detroit and Flint. You know, cities that have nothing, just imagination. And that's, and that's how you build the future of a city. Well, I think that's probably a good segue into taking some questions to the audience. I'll just make one comment, and, and that is, without that sense of, of a consensus, of everybody has a stake in the outcome of where Los Angeles is headed, it becomes very difficult to even have the conversation that we're having here or, and that needs to go on because we're going to be left with the, what, the 19% turnout, which isn't a very good percentage. So we're willing to open it up to questions. Hi, my name is Amy Phillips Kushigamachi, and, um, you know, looking at the slide two slides ago, the image of First Street looking west, I confess, um, 
with all due respect, that I'm so glad that uh, it did not turn out this way because there's no Little Tokyo there. And Little Tokyo is a neighborhood that's near and dear to my heart. And um, I think that kind of illustrates, too, that um, as we think about what's going to be there in the future, often we pave over what might be somebody else's past or present. And I think um, talking about the whole idea of, of planning and values and how do we make an organic neighborhood, what, what are the responsibilities of an architect or urban planner to take into account those things that are there, the historical context that the second panel talked about, and how do we um, bring out that uh, sense of responsibility from the neighborhood? And this idea of building the, you know, getting the kids to build the things that they want to see in the neighborhood. We actually do that in Little Tokyo with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and they build, you know, they work really hard to build these things, and then the next lesson that we do, the next week, we come in and we smash them, because we say this is sometimes what happens in the planning process. <laughs> you, you, you dream of all these things, and then um, they just cannot happen, and so how do we, uh, neighborhoods and planners and architects, uh, work together to talk about what our future should be and have that engagement? Now, I think there's a lot of different venues. For me, I use planning, I use art venues, educational venues, to, to really promote planning, just to kind of build the capacity for people, for people to understand planning. Sometimes they'll put a model on the corner of Suicida Child and Soto in East LA, and people think I'm a street vendor selling something. But I tell them, city planning. And they go, what's that? I go, it's a way to change your neighborhood and take, take, take ownership of it. You know, and then they realize, oh yeah, so I, I, give them a building and tell, I give them a building and tell them, put this building somewhere on this model. And they look at it and think, well, where should I put it at? I go, put it anywhere you want to put it at, because if you're a city, you're a model, you know, it's your building. And they start thinking about how they can really kind of control space control the city, kind of, and kind of create the city that they want. And that's the armature idea of overlaying a plan. How else can you do it? I'm wondering about the Los Angeles River, and it seems as if there is a consensus building uh, within Los Angeles regarding that, and from there, could, we, could that be a starting point? I think the LA River is a really good starting point, because it's big, it's vast, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of nothing there. It's just a lot of, right at this point, it's just a lot of imagination. And if we could tap into people's imaginations about the LA River, then we'd get people excited about what could be there. And, 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 you, and, you, and you, there's, a, there's a ton of artists that are already work, already, work, already work in the river as a space to kind of generate ideas. So it's, really good, it's a really good starting point to really think about it because you're not really crossing anybody's turf in that space. Well, it's not 100% nowhere, though, because it is the industrial spine of Los Angeles, which I think still may now rank as the largest industrial city in, in the nation. Certainly the largest uh, light and medium industrial uh, mm. city in the nation. and Most people don't think that. They don't think it at all, but just, just, just take a little drive down Alameda or just run parallel to the river, um, and you'll, you'll get a good impression of what an industrial city looks like in the 21st century. So it's, it's, it's uneasy turf, I think, still. Yeah, but, it's, but a, lot of it's, a lot of it's now mainly warehousing. Because back in the 60s, it was really, back in the 60s, it was a very much a manufacturing zone. Now it's just a warehousing zone. Now I worked on the Cornfields Project, you know, at, at LA State, State Historic Park, the 32 acres by Chinatown, and the city wanted to build warehouses there. You know, but we fought for a park. And now that park's really changing the way Chinatown and downtown and the river kind of think of themselves. Well, visually, it is a very identifiable kind of overarching element through the city, but actually, it's very complicated. Every piece of visual possibility is actually prevented by so many hidden different uh, 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 yeah, uh, uh, stakeholders 
And some of them, you never know where they are. They're owned by very unknown entities that <laughs> never show. So the process of it is equally I, mm. uh, 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 difficult. But I do uh, felt where the recognition, the common recognition of a solution for the city is the first sign to actually build that uh, consensus. Uh, but I do felt uh, it is still very premature to imagine that. And I do, uh, the, the real good step, effective, is actually education. Um, uh, we have implemented so many studios. Uh, I don't know, every semester, there must be five studios all the, that has all been the country. Uh, through the LA. So if you kind of, if, if we look back in the last 10 years, what studios and different various schools that has been uh, uh, set uh, to resolve a certain part or overall master planning of LA River, you probably, We've done LA River planning 10 times already, <laughs> complete, back and forth. <laughs> so I, I do feel there may be a, a great uh, 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 exhibition, the history of reimagining LA Rivers. That must be done many times. So <laughs> I can see that as a major show, and that could actually be the first thing to, to really bring all the vision together. We had sort of a discussion, um, sort of damning the whole idea of the, of the car. Uh, the next exhibit here is uh, Through the Windshield. Uh, if you're in San Francisco, this is just a sidebar. It's fascinating. Your whole windshield is asphalt, then you get the flat spot and you go down again. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a free ticket ride. It's wonderful. <laughs> fascinating. Uh, one of the things I'm always referring to is the building uh, of things. I'm a Parks and Rec Commissioner in a city that I live in, and it seems to me that parks... Um, are not getting mentioned a lot, but are such a key element of planning. It gets people out of buildings, it gets people in open spaces, and um, you know, integrating a park system into a city seems to be, you know, how do you connect these parks, how do you draw people into these open spaces? These cities were open spaces. People were drawn to them and they built cities there. So how do we recreate those open spaces that so many people seem to want, but we just come paving over them? Olmsted brothers were commissioned in 1930 to lay out a plan for parks, playgrounds, and beaches in Los Angeles when the opportunity existed to remedy what was already understood as a you know a great shortfall of park space. But where where are you going to get the land now? Well, think about in San Francisco. I think it's the uh, the Boscone Center. There's a park over the parking structure underneath. Mm -hmm. You get a, a depth of dirt and foam and uh, uh, the correct load-bearing characteristics, and you have a park. Freeway caps is another suggestion that's yes. been, been floated for, how long has that been discussed in L.A. now? On the way up to 210, uh, past uh, uh, Flintridge, you have a, about a half-block thick overpass, which is planted. And you, just, you can connect parks by planted walkways over the street level. I think that would be one way to do it. Yeah. I think also they have, they have a Ciclavia in Los Angeles where they close down seven miles of streets for just for cyclists and pedestrians. And that kind of brings people out, out in public to the street, streetscape. I think uh, the challenge is, again, we don't, we don't have that much land, but I think we should really understand how does the public understand open space and parks? Is parks going to be the traditional park, it's just a piece of an acre of land, or is it going to be a tiny street corner? Or is it going to be on top of a parking lot? Or is it going to be on top of your house? You know, you know, the future of parks is going to be how we imagine, imagine that to, to, to really uh, to, to look like. And I think, you know, as planners and architects, we have to kind of 
kind of not, not think about it in a really traditional way, but kind of expand the idea of what parks are going to look like. Plus, people have been looking very closely through, um, through mapping at how there are all of these unused little spaces and odd pieces of property that cities own, and when you begin to aggregate them, they, they work out to be much larger than Central Park. You, there's a lot of space, we just don't see it. Also uh, related to the kind of social psychological issues, um, again from a fresh outside eye, not so fresh, I've been here for five years. Um, <laughs> You've been spoiled. It's, right. It seems, uh, I, I'm just going to make that statement, it seems like uh, American uh, public or American people are not plaza people. Uh, we're not, we're, not, we're not all Italians. <laughs> no, really, uh, if you think about it, plaza is, uh, or park is actually quite alien to the kind of, the composite of general public. And maybe the only solution, I've thought about this, a simple solution is actually to make all the um, domestic space smaller. Like make them so tight. Yeah, the like size first, of a lobby. Yeah, exactly. First, first kill the kitchen. Okay, first kill the kitchen. <laughs> Second, okay, first kill the kitchen was a dining table, that size, right? Then kill the kitchen. I think then street and plaza will have a hope. And, and, and my uh, song is lowered expectations. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it is because, uh, because every apartment you go, or every house you go, it seems the life is complete. Um, the communities are kind of already have a core, which is your kitchen, your dining room. And uh, so the need to be related to others seems to be really drastically introduced. Plus neighbors in the US are not friendly to each other. <laughs> I have letters sent to planning uh, board on my house every week. <laughs> Anyone here uh, when I designed and uh, built my house, it's like the whole neighborhood come up to go against it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I thought it would be a plaza, then I see them every day, twice, yeah. in morning, coffee, coffee afternoon, yeah. espresso. Yeah, yeah. I think they would not be feeling so comfortable to, to, to appeal to, <laughs> to the... Because we don't see each other, they ask, it's okay to, uh, to, to really uh, file a planning very intensely for a stranger. I felt uh, it's something socially has to be really thought through before we actually do the plazas and parks. Parks are really scary. I mean, I don't know. It's well, scary, what, right? What, uh, it's, uh, what uh, it, so it has to be really work as a social uh, uh, um, engineering in the same time and all work together. Because architects really love to talk about parks. We have studios also. Yeah. Every semester we have Studio of the Urban Parks, Pocket, a Street, along at least 10 studios about that. What happened after 40 years? They, Nothing they, built, they built Grand Park, isn't that what they've yeah. called it? It's between, right. you know, the courthouse and, and DWP all the way to, is anybody, I don't think anybody uses it any more than they used it before they didn't build Grand Park. Exactly. When it was known as the, as the mall. Yeah. Uh, no, not true? It's a popular. But, okay, we got someone who went to the park. But I think for your issue, if you would have built that, your house in East LA, your neighbors would be there every day for coffee and cappuccino every day, all your neighbors. Right. <laughs> totally. So I made my front yard a plaza because I set up, set up cookies, uh, coffees <laughs> for the neighbor to come. 
and then to, you know, to explain what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, in the wrong, it's in the wrong neighborhood. It should be in Pico Union or East LA. It'll be there every day. So many people come from other places to live in LA. And I know I speak for myself and most of my friends when even after living in LA for a long time, we still identify the cities we came from as our hometowns or those other countries as our homelands. And I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on that in terms of being a hindrance to change or in, I know that you guys were also speaking about how people in LA often are slow to participate in the development of the city and whether that's partially due to the fact that they still identify these other places as their hometowns. LA is kind of a hard place to kind of wrap your head around because it's such a, it's always a, it's always a moving target. You think you might know it, then it all changes. You know, like, so it's always changing. So you, you, it kind of gives you that kind of sense of uneasiness. So it's not that kind of enduring place like the corner of, you know, uh, Fifth and Main in New York City or something. It's always, always, it's always a moving target. So it's really hard to get that sense of like, I live here forever, I've been here for a long time. I'm a native, I can't speak right. to it. Well, you know, I, I'm a, a newly adopted uh, uh, Los Angelino. Uh, I, I think, uh, regardless of the kind of uh, frustration of how hard the city can change, and, and obviously that come out of the kind of passion to the city and wanted to see the city that actually resembles a perfect model in everybody's head. But that perfect model is never really the same that may have been the really underlining difficulty of uh, so being a transient of so many uh, families and ethnic groups. But I do feel one of the most important and lovely aspects of LA is it's not finished, right? So LA, I mean, for a lot of outsiders, is really uh, not pleasing in terms of what they see, right? Even the most important street you drive along for a couple blocks, you see one-story buildings <laughs> that's made. So, uh, but it is not finished, so it, somehow the, 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 the uh, ongoing debate constantly come and go. It's really the hope for next, so it's the unfinishedness is really what's so powerful about LA. Mm. That's what, that would be my um, take on this. Thank uh -oh. you so much.